This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello and welcome to the Professional Book Nerds Podcast. This is Joe. Hi, hello. On today's episode, we're going to get into the life of fictional food critic Dana Patowski as she joins the hunt for a new minister for her Unitarian Universalist congregation. That's right, we'll be talking about Search coming out tomorrow, April 26th from Penguin Press. Before we dive into this episode, make sure you're subscribed on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode of Professional Book Nerds. Make sure you rate and review. We'd love to hear from all of you. If you want to talk about uh, your hot takes on books or you know just any of your opinions in general about books, about uh, the topics we're talking about, the things we're recommending, you can email us at professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com. And of course, you can follow us on social. We're on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at ProBookNerds. Now, on to the episode. Friends, today on the podcast, we have an author from Altadena, California, who teaches creative writing to undergrads at UCLA and writes the occasional bit about food. Her work has received attention from the New York Times Notable Books List, the LA Times Book Awards, and the National Book Critics Circle Awards. She's received a GE Younger Writers Award and a Whitting Award for Fiction, as well as a James Beard Award for Feature Writing with Recipes, and an assortment of other awards for food journalism. Her new book, Search, comes out April 26th from Penguin Press. It's Michelle Honeyven. Michelle, hi. Hi, nice, nice to talk to you today. How are you? I'm wonderful. Thank you for asking. How is the weather in California today? <laughs> Heavenly. Oh, I, I knew that would be the answer, but <laughs> I still wanted to hear it. We actually just got um, our our fun like 18th round of winter here in Cleveland. So it was it was 70 like three days ago and it's 36 and snowy today. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. It's it's about 70 degrees out up to a high of 74, which is, you know, the perfect weather for Southern California. Just perfect weather in general, if I could mm-hmm. bottle that every day. Yeah. <laughs> my my favorite is to have my house just open wide and letting the breeze come through. So that's that's the ideal temperature for that. <laughs> exactly. So we are recording a little ahead of time, but when our audience is hearing this, your book will be coming out tomorrow, April 26th, or I should say your newest book. So to start us off, Michelle, could you tell me a little bit about Search? Well, Search is a story of a church search committee looking for their next senior minister. There's eight people on the committee, and I think the elevator pitch is basically how eight well-meaning educated, kind people make some very surprising choices. <laughs> I think that that puts it puts it pretty perfectly. Now, 
I, I could tell from reading this that you've definitely been in the congregation while one of these searches is happening, but have you ever been on the committee yourself? Well, I was on a search committee for an, uh, an assistant minister, which is mm-hmm. a hired position, a one to three year position, not that crucial uh, of, a, <laughs> right. of a search committee. And it was completely congenial and uh, we agreed on everything. And so it really wasn't uh, a, a major search like, like this one was. However, you know, search committees uh, are highly confidential affairs. Mm -hmm. And I've been around several big uh, searches. In fact, I was once the chair of the committee to select the search committee. Oh. (laughs) Which meant meant the three of us got to pick who was gonna be on the committee to select the, um, the next ministry. That's as close as I ever came. But because searches are so confidential, uh, I've always been highly curious about what went on in them. And so I had to write, I had to write one to figure it out. I, I don't blame you. Actually, one of my first jobs out of uh, college, I worked for a United Church of Christ and I was there while they were also looking for a, a junior minister. So it was, it was very similar, but in, in this one, that was kind of the person who also handled the children's ministry. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was, I'd say it was somewhere in between what you described and somewhere between what happens in search that like, because there were so many other different ministries involved in it that it was a it was a little more contentious as well, uh, but it, it was definitely an experience. And I was just staff; I was not a part of the congregation. I was just uh, the one in charge of marketing for the church. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a definitely it's a very human process. It really is. It's it's incredibly human and like you said, it's in also incredibly confidential, but it's interesting in how um, characters play such a central part in, in life, in those kind of searches. It, you have to collect the, the right balance that's representing kind of the whole. And so for this, um, you have quite a cast of characters as well, not just the people who are you know, vying for their spot as senior minister, but also the people who make up the committee. What was your process like for creating a character? Well, it's interesting that you go straight to character because Mm -hmm. that's what interested me about this book. That's what got me Ah. interested in writing this book in the first place was just being on that little uh, search committee for the assistant minister that I was on. I was so interested in the way that the the character of each of the applicants was revealed first through something called a ministerial record, which is like a long CV uh, Mm -hmm. that not only had their education and their experience, but also had these answers that they had to write narratives to like, what's a mistake you've made in, in, uh, your ministry and what did you do about it or write about your call story you know how did you get called a ministry and so people would write these little mini stories and as a novelist who loves narrative I was like "Ooh, this is so interesting <laughs> absolutely and then there was a discrepancy between how they self-presented 
And then when you began to dig a little bit into their background and talk to their references, different things would come up. So that also struck me as kind of like detective work, which is also obviously very novelistic. Yes. Um, so that's for the that's for the applicants and the candidates. But the search committee was a was a little bit different because uh, I didn't really base anybody on anyone I knew, and they mm -hmm. kind of appeared to me. Uh, so it was kind of like walking into a room with strangers, sure, and then getting to know them as I wrote the book. I I really like that. I like that approach of you. You have that idea, kind of like when you first meet someone of just like. Hmm, I, I wonder what your story is. And so creating in that way sounds sounds like selfishly pretty fulfilling to me. It sounds like a fun way to create someone. Yeah, I think that uh, you have a sweeter temperament than I do because uh, when I walk into a room full of people um, that I don't know, I, I get a little fearful. And when I get fearful, uh, this is like my character, Dana, I get critical. So yes. I'm thinking like, who are these people and do I have anything in common with them? And, and I get kind of defensive and maybe a little shut down, but then people, you know, begin to reveal themselves. And, and this one, you know, is the head of the psychoanalytic Institute. And this one's a landscape architect. And this one's a, just got back from the Peace Corps in South Africa. And all of a sudden, you know, people just bloom like flowers. Absolutely. I'm, I am with you. I'm a, I'm a Scorpio. So by nature, I'm ready to judge everyone, but I have been given this personality where people immediately feel disarmed when they see me in public, mm -hmm. they'll walk up and they'll say, you look like a person I could unburden my life story to. <laughs> so I get to, I get, I get to the, the kind of meat yeah. of a person a little bit faster. Uh, otherwise I think without that, I'd, I'd be right there with you. You'd be the person I'd walk up to and go, so what do you think's wrong with him? <laughs> but to, yeah. to talk about Dana, she seems to share a lot with you, at least a lot of similarities. We've got this writer who's known for creating cookbooks and for, for her food work. Was this kind of a self-insert? Was this the opportunity to, aside from just writing the book that was the hunt to understand the search committee, you put yourself in it? Or do you only share some characteristics with Dana? Tell me about Dana. Well, Dana is, um, in all five of my novels, she's the one who's most like me. Mm -hmm. And I gave her just, uh, I gave her my new kitchen. Uh, you know, I gave her restaurant, being a restaurant critic, I was a restaurant critic for 15 years. I gave her my seminary education, but then I gave her some things that, you know, I never had, such as a staff job at the newspaper. I was always yeah. a freelancer. Um, I've always wanted to have mini donkeys. Um, <laughs> my husband's against it, but Dana gets two. And so, uh, yeah, she she's like me, but she's kind of like me enhanced. I I love that uh, sneak in a little bit of the wish fulfillment. Exactly. <laughs> so speaking of your time as a food critic, um, we'll start with the the more fun side of it. What was the best meal you tried in your career of food writing? Is there one that sticks out in memory? Well, there are these food epiphanies that I've had where you eat something for the first time and you think, mm -hmm. oh my God. So I don't, um, 
I don't really think of one meal in particular, but I remember sure. things like um, Wolfgang Puck once cooked for me a veal brain schnitzel. It sounds terrible, but it's actually <laughs> like the perfect dish because oh. the inside is white and creamy and custardy. It's soft, it's mild, it's delicious. And the outside is this perfect crunch, just perfect. And huh. I, re I remember biting into it and just thinking, this is the perfect food if you don't think about what it is. <laughs> Good advice. <laughs> but, but, you know, when you think about it, so many of the of the great delicacies in life are mm -hmm. a little disgusting, you know, like foie gras or mm -hmm. oysters or ortolan. They're all disgusting. And You're absolutely right. Those things that everyone kind of has that little spark in their eye of they they think of the first time they tried it or the memories around it. Like when you said oysters, I was thinking of a, a trip to Cape Cod and, you know, and, and the combination of just fresh, I'm, I am not a seafood person at all, but when I go to the Cape, when I go to a place where there is bound to be the freshest, I'm like, if I'm going to do it, this is the place. And I, I have those immediate memories that I'm taken back to. So that, that makes absolute sense. Yeah. Yeah what inspired you to include recipes? Where, where did they come from? How did you use, how did you decide to use them kind of as almost palate cleansers for the different portions of your book? Well, way back in the nineties, I won a James Beard award and I won it for uh, feature writing with recipes. And the, and the with recipes part always made me laugh for some reason, because it's kind of like a pulled punch. Like this is a feature, but it's got a recipe, which sort of makes it seem like maybe a little frivolous, maybe, sure. maybe not. But at the same time, it could also seem like a little bonus. You know, this is like a feature and it has a recipe. And, and so that play, you know, just seemed like the perfect thing for a comic novel. I really like that. Movie. Absolutely. Yeah, and as for the recipes, I knew that I was going to put in a recipe called Chicken Fiesta because uh, Chicken Fiesta was the big go-to recipe at my church for potlucks. It's just rice with chicken on it and then a little sprinkling of colorful things. When I was, um, but nobody could find the recipe. I asked all these people who'd obviously made it, none of us could find the recipe. So I had to reinvent the recipe. And as I reinvented it, it's not a way that I normally eat, but mm -hmm. it was so delicious. We just ate, you know, iteration after iteration of chicken fiesta <laughs> going, this is really actually quite delicious. I can see why it's a potluck hit. So funny to think of, of those potluck staples, those, those meetings in the basement of the church and thinking of, you know, the I mean, you just talked about Wolfgang Puck cooking for you and then thinking of like, yeah, I'm going to have this. <laughs> I'm going to have this chicken fiesta. I'm going to have this casserole several times over until I figure out the version I like. And um, actually, the I write about this. I put this in the book, but I was um, helping at a church uh, pledge dinner one year where we didn't have enough money to cater the whole thing. So different individuals agreed to make the entree. So like 20 different entrees of chicken fiesta came in. And it was fascinating because sometimes you wouldn't even realize they were the same dish. It was everybody following the same recipe, but it just proves that 
people are individual one more time and how they followed a recipe was really quite enlightening. Now, uh, how did you end up in the world of food writing and, and critique? Oh, well, that's a good question. Uh, I was writing these long features for California Magazine. Mm-hmm. A friend of mine from the Iowa Writers Workshop some years out had gotten an editorial position at, at California, which is long defunct, but um, way back in the 80s, uh, it was the editor was Harold Hayes, who was the editor that took Esquire through, uh, through the Vietnam War. And oh, wow. he was just a really brilliant guy. Mm-hmm. And he hired my friend Robin Green to be an editor. And Robin asked me to write some pieces. And I wrote a long piece on the Stanford Band. I wrote a piece about a public, uh, a, a, a piece of public art that disappeared in San Jose. I wrote, I wrote these kind of, I wrote a long piece about the urban coyote, uh, things that took these huge, long, immersive uh, Mm -hmm. experiences. And meanwhile, there's a restaurant critic going out to eat and coming back to the office and and typing away. And (laughs) sure. And I'd always worked in food service uh, from uh, my first year in college to almost uh, the time that I was writing for California, I was still being a banquet manager. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like a natural transition to stop um, working in food service and start writing about food service. Sure. Uh, so anyway, I just pestered them until they let me write a restaurant review. And the restaurant critic for California Magazine got a job with the LA Times. So he quit and I just Uh, got to fill in. And then after I'd written maybe five or six restaurant reviews, the LA Times hired me as well. Oh, wow. So I I love the idea that you were writing these sweeping narratives and you said, what if I, what if I took it easy and just got to have a nice meal and and talk about the experience? Well, I was trying to write fiction. And the problem was, is that the nonfiction took up the same psychic juice. I totally feel that. Yeah. Let's take a quick break for our sponsor. Finding and booking a doctor who's right for you doesn't need to be a terrible experience. Will they take your insurance, understand your needs, or be available when you can see them? With ZocDoc, the answer can be a refreshingly pain-free yes. Going to the dentist is already painful enough for me. Adding the conundrum and stress of scheduling an appointment just really makes me not want to go even more. But honestly, ZocDoc helped make this process pain-free for me, Novocaine aside. ZocDoc is a free app that shows you doctors who are patient-reviewed, take your insurance, and are available when you need them. Read up on local doctors, get verified patient reviews, and see what other real humans had to say about their visit. So when you walk into that doctor's office, you're set up to see someone in your network who gets you. Go to ZocDoc.com, choose a time slot, and whether you want to see the doctor in person or do a video visit. Just like that, you're booked. Find the doctor that's right for you and book an appointment that works for your schedule. Every month, millions of people use ZocDoc, and I'm one of them. It's my go-to whenever I need to find and book a doctor. In the chaotic world of healthcare, let ZocDoc be your trusted guide to find a quality doctor in a way that's surprisingly pain-free. With ZocDoc, you can get your docs in a row. Go to ZocDoc.com slash ProBookNerds and download the ZocDoc app for free. 
Then start your search for a top-rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash probooknerds. ZocDoc.com slash probooknerds. So you were trying to write fiction. What made you discover your work as a writer if it wasn't kind of this moment of, of nonfiction food writing? Uh, you, if you started trying to write fiction, what brought you to that point? Um, well, I had always wanted to write fiction. I always loved novels as a girl. And I, and I you know, got my MFA at Iowa and I'd written, you know, short stories for my thesis there. And I was trying to write my first novel and trying to write my first novel and trying to write my first novel. And eventually um, I gave up. I was writing journalism. I was writing restaurant reviews. And I just realized that trying to write fiction and not being able to write this novel um, was making me extremely unhappy. So I decided to do something else. And that's when I decided to go to seminary. I was still, I was still writing um, restaurant reviews, but I just wanted to do something meaningful and strenuous and, not, and write about something maybe a little bit more than what I put in my mouth. Um, and I really loved the sermon. So I went to seminary and I was in seminary for about a year and a half and I'm sitting in backgrounds in contemporary theology when all of a sudden it hit me that I'd been starting my novel in the wrong place. I'd been starting it in the middle. And so then I would have to go back and introduce each one of the characters of the three main characters. And what I had was a big snarl. I'd get to about page 100 and it would be so snarled. And so my revelation was, why not start where the characters first meet each other? Why not start at the beginning? What an idea. <laughs> why not start at the beginning? I love that. I also love that you had the call in the place where people usually end up after they've had the call. It was just your fit of, you know, no, yeah. I, I am meant to be a writer. I just have to, <laughs> I have to go back to the drawing board a little bit. Exactly. That's, that is beautiful. How did your experience in the world of restaurants and in the world of food service shape not only your critiques, but your relationship with food? Oh, now that's an interesting question. Um, you know, after 15 years of eating out three, four, six times a week um, and writing about food, I, I actually... My favorite thing to do is to write a little food essay because I feel like that's where I can dance. I'm not, I don't care about it as deeply as I care mm -hmm. about my fiction. And yet um, it's such, food is such a wonderful subject. You can write about the world when you're writing about food. Um, however, these days, what do I like to eat? Really good home cooked meals. Absolutely. I have a garden. I like fresh vegetables. Um, we don't eat meat at home. Uh, it, it really, my husband still loves restaurants and loves to go out to eat. And I like to occasionally, mm -hmm. but it, it did sort of take a lot of the, um, a lot of the pleasure 
Oh, well, no, that's not true. I can still really enjoy a, a meal out, but it took the the mystery and the mystique mm-hmm. out of it. Absolutely. It also takes kind of the the call or the demand out of it. You you no longer feel like, oh, well, what is a weekend if I don't try this new place? It's, it's not so much that anymore for you. No, no. Also, uh, I was at the French Laundry and I mm-hmm. got a little, a little appetizer on a little plate and I looked at it and I mentally did the calculation of how many people had touched that food and it came out to about 23. Oh. And that was sort of like, that's too many people touching my food. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't disagree with you there. When you, when you start to think about it, that's when you go, you know, maybe a, maybe a few less hands in the pie yeah, on this one. <laughs> exactly. Now, you mentioned being a reader growing up. What were some of the books that you would recall as your favorite as a child? Or what did you always kind of get drawn to? Well, the first answer, of course, is Grimm's fairy tales. I was totally obsessed with Grimm's fairy tales. You know, the standards, I loved A Wrinkle in Time. I mm-hmm. loved The Island of the Blue Dolphins by Scott O'Dell. Yes. Um, gosh. I know. Pippi, Long, Pippi Longstocking. <laughs> Gotta have the good staples. I mean. Exactly. There wasn't the huge wealth of young adult fiction and, and, um, and books for children that there is today. So we've talked about that at, in your home, you have a garden, no meat, no meat for meals at home. But when you're writing, what is your setup like? What is your process like? Do you like some background noise? What kind of snacks do you have handy? Um, well, right outside of my, I have a writing studio in the backyard and right outside of the writing studio is a, is a, a navel orange tree. And this time of year, I just walk out and eat a navel orange. And there's some kumquats a little bit further down on the property and some blood oranges. So, you know, it's fun to walk around the property and eat off the trees. In the summer, there'll be tomatoes, cherry tomatoes. I always plant one right near my my office door. Uh, But my husband is a fabulous bread baker. So mm-hmm. um, my weakness. Well, yes, <laughs> mine too. I mean, I can really just eat. I, that could be the eat, meal. <laughs> yeah, piece after piece of bread with mm-hmm. good butter on it. I mean, absolutely. I, yeah, it has nothing to do with actual hunger. I could just eat it, you know, I, <laughs> forever. If it's, if it's there, you'll find you'll find me yes. right next to it, covered in crumbs. <laughs> So that's my that's my favorite snack. Although you know it's Passover, so instead of bread, I go into the kitchen and there's matzah, oh. the, the cardboard bread. <laughs> I mean, not quite the same, but it, it it's when you hit that time of year, you just kind of go, well, this feels right too. And yeah, yeah. Snack but, it, any kind of bread, I'll I'll snack on it. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with you. Cardboard or not. Yeah. Um, now to take us back to some of the recipes from Search, I know we talked about Fiesta Chicken, but did you have a favorite recipe? Gosh, um, well, I have two. One, okay. is, one is the whole wheat chocolate chip cookie by Kim Boyce. They are amazing. Um, who knew that, it sounds like taking all the fun out of a out With of a whole wheat. <laughs> yeah, with whole wheat. But they're actually, they're sort of, wonderfully gritty in this way. They're like gritty the way a good piece of whole wheat toast is gritty. Yes. 
And uh, so I love them. And the other one is a buco pie. There's a, um, a restaurant in LA. Actually, it's a little, it's a little uh, food stand that serves Filipino style food. And they make a buco pie that's actually like a custard pie, but I couldn't find the recipe for it anywhere. So okay. I had to reinvent it. And uh, I was literally hurling coconuts on our concrete <laughs> patio, fresh coconuts, because I knew it had fresh coconuts. But how do you open the damn things? Mm -hmm. <laughs> a chisel, a hammer. I tried uh, it all. A saw. I, I, I could never figure out a coconut. <laughs> hurling them on the patio. I'd, I'd probably get frustrated and pull out a power drill. Well, I did. No, you have to power drill it open, empty the water, and then hurl them or hammer them. <laughs> but uh, but the the recipe I, I made, this is going to sound like a bit of bragging, but okay, I'm going to brag. <laughs> Please, it's your time uh, to do so. <laughs> uh, finally, you know, after the pandemic, uh, my husband visited the restaurant and brought me back a slice of their buco pie and mine is better. That's, I that's my favorite. Yeah. That is, that is my favorite when you can taste the thing you've been, been seeking or building off of and you go, ha, not only did I did it, I did it better. Yeah. Mine wasn't quite as rich, but it also didn't coat my mouth with fat and it was just, mm -hmm. that is beautiful. I'll be excited yeah. to, I'll be excited to try that. I'll, uh, I'll uh, see how much abuse my driveway can take to open up some coconuts. <laughs> of course, now you can buy frozen coconut, um, frozen fresh coconut pieces. So you can Ian, save. Your way sounds a little more fun. It is more fun. <laughs> Did you enjoy kind of having these test kitchen moments, kind of reinventing when you couldn't find a recipe? I did. I did. I was a little bit stressed because, you know, I really wanted them to be good. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it like the muffins, I had to change the muffin recipe because entirely I had to change what it was called because I just couldn't, I originally wanted to do a, a chocolate chip banana muffin mm. and mm -hmm. I just couldn't get it good. Now, as we start to wind down, just, I love to throw out some questions to everyone. Um, what are you currently reading? Oh, what am I currently reading? Mm-hmm. Um, the toughest well, question. <laughs> I know the mind goes blank. Absolutely. Um, okay, but luckily I'm teaching things. So okay, I'm reading uh, Willa Cather. I'm reading My Antonia for about the fifth time, which is it. It never gets old. It's such a beautiful book. Um, it's really a, a an astonishing bit of writing. It's just luminous. Uh, and then for my, I'm teaching food writing. And so uh, this week we were reading Laurie Colwyn, who is always just a terrific pleasure. She's, she's so much fun. That sounds, that sounds like so much fun. And to see the way your face lit up when you talked about both of those options, yeah. uh, you know, and it sounds like things that you are more than familiar with reading. I, I love it. Well, I love rereading. I think rereading is a true reading. Now, of course, you've had many a fabulous meal made by professionals, but when you want something fast or maybe you're having that delivery, you know, that kind of sneaky delivery night, even though it sounds like you've got a house full of talented cooks, do you have a go-to order or the thing that you crave to have sent to the house? 
actually no hey that's great that's what i aspire to (laughs) (laughs) you know um during covid we tried uh we tried some different takeouts but um you know it would be 40 or 50 dollars for for a meal and it would be cold or lukewarm and not that interesting sad uh the one thing that was really amazing there's a a mediterranean style Mm -hmm. restaurant in los angeles called bavel and it's spectacular their their pita bread is is the best i've ever had um and we ordered that for our anniversary and i went down and picked it up and here were flavors i can't create at home here were just these beautiful knockout flavors, a little rose water in, in the mm-hmm. salad dressing. You try to put rose water in salad dressing, it tastes like detergent. They know, Absolutely. How, to, they know how to do it, you know? I know time is a precious commodity, especially since you're also busy teaching along with your writing. Uh, but do you ever find time to uh, watch or even binge watch anything? Is there anything you're watching right now? Well, we're watching Abbott Elementary and enjoying it. <laughs> I love it. Quinta, ma- Quinta makes me laugh with everything she writes and creates. Yeah. Uh, uh, now, before I let you go, is there anything else you'd like my listeners to know about search or anything you want them to take away? Well, I just think if you've ever been on a committee, you'll, find something, to re- to, you'll find something <laughs> to relate to in this book, I think. Anywhere my friends can find you online if they want to connect, if they want to see what's coming next for you. MichelleHunneman.com. One word, all small letters. Perfect. Well, yes. Michelle, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been so much fun and I really enjoyed what we got to talk about. Well, you're a wonderful interviewer and I really, <laughs> I really uh, felt very much at home. Thank you so much. Thank you. That really does mean the world to me. And listeners, remember you can find Search tomorrow, April 26th from Penguin Press. Thank you again to Michelle and thank you all so much for listening. Happy reading. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode on Overdrive.com and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen podcasts, visit evergreenpodcast.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Emma Dwyer, Jill Grunewald, and Joe Skelly and presented by Overdrive. To learn more, visit professionalbooknerds.com. Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book. And together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.